Life Audio. Welcome to Truth Tribe with Douglas Grothuis. I'm your host and producer and guest. It's a one-man show here. My dog may wander in once in a while and give a supportive glance or lick or bark if someone is attacking the front door. But I'm launching this podcast to tell you a little bit about who I am, why you might want to listen to it. I hope to finish this episode on who I am, my vision, my competence, why you might want to listen to what I have to say. And remember, I lose half my personality in front of a microphone or a screen when there's no one else in the room. But nevertheless, I'm going to give it a shot. Hope I have a personality excess such that if I lose half of it, we'll still be all right. Then I like to do a program on what is Christianity program on defending Christianity, one on a basic Christian view of ethics, and one on a theology and philosophy of culture. And then we'll start to explore specific topics of interest to me, and I hope to you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. God looks at your heart, not your gene size. Do you know the verses yet still stress over your body? Oh, I get it. I was raised in church, but I struggled with food, eating disorders, and my body for decades. I'm Heather Creekmore, host of the Compared To podcast, where we talk about all things body image and comparison from a biblical perspective. We get real about the pressure to focus on appearance in a culture where looks seem to matter most. Whether you're wrestling wrinkles or battling the scale, Compared To Who is the show for you. You'll laugh a little and be encouraged a lot. If you're ready to stop comparing and start living, visit lifeaudio.com to listen and subscribe. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ. My last name, Grothuis, is Dutch. It means large house. My grandfather was born in Holland, came to the U.S. in the 1920s. And I got the Dutch name, of course, from my father, although I'm actually half Italian. And my mother's maiden name was Cominetto. I was born in Anchorage, Alaska in 1957. Alaska became a state on my second birthday in 1959. was raised in a smallish kind of town in a state that many people know very little about. No, we never had snow days because if you are living in Anchorage, Alaska, then you get used to the snow and you trudge to to class in the snow and you run away from uh, polar bears and things like that. So that's how that works. Skipping over, I became a Christian in 1976 after my first year in college. I was studying philosophy and journalism at the time and started to study Western philosophy, atheists like Nietzsche, Marx, Freud, and also got interested in Eastern religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, a little bit into the paranormal, out of the body travels, and so on. But by the grace of God, I converted in June of 1976. I came back from my first year in college. That was at the University of Northern Colorado in Greeley, Colorado, not far from where I now live in Denver. And about half of my friends in Anchorage 
had become Christians and half had not. So I went back in the middle, so to speak, and uh, spent a lot of time with my Christian friends, started reading the Bible, talking with them about the meaning of Christ. And I realized I faced a fork in the road, the tender age of 19, and it was either Christ or I didn't know what. And by God's sovereign grace, I did confess Christ as Lord back in, I think about June. I was baptized in June at a church called Abeloop Community Chapel. So I went back to college. This time I went to the University of Oregon, Eugene, Oregon, and eventually changed my degree to philosophy because I was doing pretty well in philosophy. And also I flunked a manual typewriter test that was required to become a journalism major. I don't know what it was, 30 or 40 words. I think they gave us two shots. I flunked both and thought, yes, I'll be a philosophy major, something more practical. So I graduated in 1979 with a degree in philosophy, began to work for a campus ministry called the McKenzie Study Center that was located just right across, literally, from University of Oregon property. And I began to teach a class through the University of Oregon. They had a special program called the Search Program, where if you had a faculty sponsor, you could teach a course without being paid, but it would be an accredited course. So I taught a class there for five years called The Twilight of Western Thought, which was a survey of the Christian worldview in relation to other worldviews. And then the third quarter, we taught on Christian ethics and theology of culture. And all this was for a sociology 400 level class. It was sponsored by the head of the sociology department, a man named Benton Johnson, who was not a Christian, but he was a liberal in the great classic sense of the term, meaning he liked a lot of different ideas to be presented at the university. During that time, 1979 to 1984, I did a tremendous amount of research on apologetics, worldviews, world religions, the New Age movement, science, you name it. I just set my own course of study. I remember one year, 1981, I read 114 books because I wrote them all down in my notebook at that time. And very significantly during that time, I met my future wife, Becky Merrill at the time. She was working for the same ministry I was as an intern. She also took my class, the class, The Twilight of Western Thought, which was named after a book by the Dutch philosopher Herman Doyeverd for you apologetic and philosophy nerds out there. And Becky encouraged me to write a book I had been thinking about for several years on the New Age movement. She also said she would help edit it for me. And along the way, we fell in love. We got married in 1984. Uh, then I went to the University of Wisconsin-Madison and got a master's of philosophy there, studying with the late Keith Yandel, who is a master analytic philosopher. And by the time I was done in 1986, I was going to get a PhD there, but I got a little disenchanted with the academic world and went back into campus ministry at the University of Washington, Seattle, worked with a ministry called Probe Ministries, which is still around, although they don't have a campus ministry focus anymore. And in 1986, my first book came out, Unmasking the New Age. I think the subtitle was How to Respond to a Growing Religious Movement. That was published by InterVarsity Press. 
And after a kind of slow start, the book did extremely well. In fact, it is my best-selling book of all my 15 books. I think it sold over 160,000 copies. So it was the right book at the right time. It had an apologetics emphasis, which other books during that time did not. The books by Constance Cumby or Dave Hunt or others, Tex Mars, really didn't focus on the New Age worldview and how to respond to it logically and biblically. They more focused on how this was going to relate to the end times apocalypse and so on. And I did not take up those kind of issues, but just worked the apologetic side of it along with some cultural criticism. So I was involved in campus ministry from 1986 to 1989 in Seattle. Very fruitful time of ministry. A lot of it had to do with the New Age movement since that was just exploding. The Northwest at that time, and I had two books out on it. My second book, Confronting the New Age, came out in 1988. And Becky and I lived in the Ballard area of Seattle. Those were very happy times. Becky was still in good health. We were young. I was really in demand for ministry. Becky had an interesting part-time job, several part-time jobs. They were very happy times. And during that time, Becky started to study the issue of women in ministry quite a bit. So I'll take that up in a moment. But after a few years of campus ministry, as satisfying as that was, I realized that I wanted to pursue a PhD in philosophy, although I toyed with the idea, more than toyed, with the idea of being a sociologist. So I took some courses at the University of of, uh, Washington in sociology and was actually accepted into their PhD program. But I decided to go back to Eugene, Oregon and pursue a PhD in philosophy there. And in 1990, my third book came out, Revealing the New Age Jesus, which was a critique of New Age Christology and got into quite a bit of historical apologetics and comparative religion in that book. So from late 1989 to 1993, Becky and I were back in Eugene, Oregon, and I was working in campus ministry with a friend of mine and pursuing my PhD there. I ended up doing a dissertation on Blaise Pascal on the reasons he rejected natural theology. No one else had written on that topic. And there was quite a bit to say. And after that, remarkably, I was given an interview to be a professor at Denver Seminary. I never thought I would teach at a seminary, largely because I didn't have a theological degree, although I'd studied theology, Bible, so many things. And I had taken some classes at New College Berkeley in 1979-1981. The best of those classes was a class on modern theology, 1981, taught by Carl Henry, the great Carl F.H. Henry. And I read the first four volumes of God, Revelation, and Authority the summer of 1981. Those are the only four that were out at that time. It ended up being a six-part series of books, uh, just tremendous work, and helped me to develop my, my theology and sense of apologetics, so many things. And eventually got an interview at Denver Seminary, was um, asked to come, and I became a professor of philosophy in 1993, and I've been at Denver Seminary ever since then. How do I break down my life without being boring or going on and on and, and falling into the exhibitionism that Viktor Frankl loathed? 
Maybe I'll talk about some intellectual influences. I've mentioned a few already, but after I converted in the summer of 1976, I really had a tough time because they didn't know how to think as a Christian. I'm Don Hawkins, inviting you to be encouraged with my weekly podcast, Encouragement for You. To subscribe, go to lifeaudio.com. started thinking philosophically in my first year of college, but then I became a Christian. So how do you think? How do you philosophize as a Christian? I really didn't have much of any idea. And uh, my friends at the time weren't able to help too much. Although one friend recommended I read Francis Schaeffer, and she brought over some books of his. And I don't know why, but I did not delve into those books. But in the fall, 1976, in Eugene, Oregon, I saw one of Schaeffer's books at the University of Oregon Bookstore. The book was The God Who Is There, and read it. And that book has had more of an influence on me than any other book I've read. I've read it so many times. I often go back to it just to be inspired for my calling as a Christian, because Schaefer convinced me that Christianity was not only true, but rational and pertinent to every aspect of life, and that without Christ, there's no hope. The world is in despair. The culture in the world in the West is under the line of despair, as he put it. So Schaefer gave me a basic vision for culture, for apologetics, evangelism, community, so many things. And I went on to read all of his books. Another very formative aspect of my early Christian life there in Eugene, Oregon, from 76 to 84, was my involvement in First Baptist Church, which was then pastored by Dr. Jack MacArthur, John MacArthur's late father. And Dr. Jack, as we called him, was a magnificent orator, was very focused on exegeting scripture, was completely fearless, did a series on the cults, talking about the difference between Christianity and other religious views, very clear, very forthright. And that helped me to get grounded in that area, as did reading Walter Martin's book, Kingdom of the Cults, and also reading a lot of the material by a ministry called Spiritual Counterfeits Project, especially the writings of Brooks Alexander and Mark Albrecht and Dean Halverson and so many others. So anyway, here we are back at Denver Seminary. And since then, I've written a number of books, 15 in total, over a wide spectrum of different topics and approaches. My big magnum opus is Christian Apologetics. This is out in a second edition now with InterVarsity, 839 pages, but who's counting? And that includes also chapters by... Dr. Craig Blomberg and Dr. Richard Hess on the New Testament and Old Testament, respectively. I've co-written a children's book called I Love You to the Stars, which is a story about a grandmother who gets dementia and ends up living with her daughter. And the grandmother has a golden doodle named Sonny, who's patterned after my golden doodle, Sonny. That was co-written with Crystal Bowman, who is a very well-respected children's author. I've also written a lament called Walking Through Twilight, which is a reflection on living through Becky's dementia. Becky, who's professionally known as Rebecca Merrill Grotheis, was an author. She wrote two books, Women Caught in the Conflict and Good News for Women. She co-edited 
a volume called Discovering Biblical Equality for InterVarsity Press that was published, I think, in 2004. That's now out, I think, in a third greatly changed edition, but Rebecca's chapter is still there. Rebecca was a tremendous influence on me. We were married almost 34 years. She passed away in July of 2018 from a rare form of dementia. Uh, Becky was one of the most brilliant people I've ever met. She edited all my books up and through, excuse me, up to Christian Apologetics, the first edition, which came out in 2011. And after that, she was too ill to edit any more of my books. But I have continued to write and... In God's grace, I remarried a high school friend named Kathleen Tischer, who is a kind, gentle, wonderful, very grounded soul, who was an elementary school teacher for many years, loves children, puts up with me, and uh, I'm very blessed. I'm really in a new chapter of life. I was under the weight of responsibility and suffering for many years, and I'm not. I'm still a melancholic fellow, and I can usually find the dark side of most anything without trying too hard. But my life is a lot lighter and happier and more interesting. I am 65 years old. I've been told I don't look a day over 62, but I'm in pretty good health. Lots of fire in my bones for the gospel to defend the truth and rationality and and, uh, pertinence of the Christian worldview, the relevance of it to the whole of life. That's my goal. That's my vision. That's what I've tried to do through these books Through teaching philosophy at Denver Seminary, I teach courses on apologetics, ethics, comparative religion, C.S. Lewis, Blaise Pascal, and other related topics. I've also been an adjunct instructor or professor at Colorado Christian University, at Metro State University, and I love teaching in secular settings whenever I can, whether that's a one-off lecture or a class at a secular school or being on a secular radio program or something. I wanted to bring the Christian message to the world to show people its significance and its rationality. That is to bring the gospel of grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to the world to show that he is worth following and that the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the meaning and purpose of all existence. And at my best, that's what I live for and what I hope I would gladly die for. There's really nothing else close to that. So my timer says I'm at about 18 and a half minutes. Of course, I could go on and on about myself, but I think that's enough about me. What I'd like to do in the next program is explain what Christianity is in terms of a worldview and then explain what a worldview is and why I still speak of the Christian worldview, and I haven't abandoned it for some postmodern narratival approach. And then after that, Lord willing, I'll do a show on the basic defense of Christianity, that's apologetics, do a show on Christian ethics, and one on my understanding of critiquing culture. I've done a fair amount of that. And maybe I'll just mention one of my other books, the one book uh, that no one read. Actually, there are two books of those that I wrote that no one read. The other one's called Christianity That Counts, which is a collection of essays, and also a few essays by Rebecca also. There's a book I wrote called The Soul in Cyberspace. came out in 1997, Baker Books. I think it's been reprinted by Wiffenstock. Uh, Very few people read that book. It was one of the first critiques of 
the internet, what we used to call cyberspace back in the day. And I stand, I think, by everything I wrote in that book. And a lot of what I worried about came true. So much of culture, so much of human existence has evaporated into the cloud, as I put it. And I'll talk about that later. But I was very concerned that we see not only the possibilities of the Internet, but the downside. And the downside is that we lose our respect and our involvement in embodied existence. So there's such a difference between teaching a class on Zoom in real time and being in a classroom with people in real time. You lose much through many of these technologies. They amplify some things and extend our reach, but they also take away. They tend to take away the personal presence and the relationality. Now, you might think, well, you're doing a podcast. That's not like being in the room with us. No, it isn't. It has some benefits, a lot of detriments. And maybe through this podcast, I will see you face to face. Maybe you will invite me to speak in an event, a public apologetics outreach, maybe a church service. Uh, and by the way, I should say, I often define my mission as teaching, preaching, writing, and mentoring. And although I am not a full-time pastor, I have been an interim pastor, preaching pastor at several churches, and I preach whenever I can. I think I have gifts in that area of preaching. I love to exposit scripture and apply it and exhort people with it. And that has been significant in my life, and I hope I will continue to be able to do that as well. So I will finish up this episode having only half of my personality to offer you, but letting you know a little bit about what I want to do, what is to come. And I hope you will join us on the Truth Tribe podcast. Truth Tribe is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media. If you liked what you heard today, please take a second to rate and review this podcast in your favorite podcast app so that more listeners like you can find the show. For more faith-filled, inspirational podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Hi, I'm Zach. And I'm Randy. And we're from Salty Saints Podcast. We're a theology and apologetics podcast. To find out more, subscribe at lifeaudio.com.